Hello, beautiful people. My new play, Sheila and Moby, is now playing at Flying V Theater, directed by Courtney Lane Self. When Sheila, a successful young businesswoman, returns to her hometown, she is immediately swept into a tale of intrigue, suspicion, and adventure involving a six-year-old neighbor girl's missing stuffed animal. Sheila reluctantly enlists the aid of her own childhood stuffed animal, an Iberian lynx named Moby, to solve the case. Sheila and Moby bears more than a striking resemblance to a comic strip you may love, one that ran from, say, 1985 to 1995 and was also about a six-year-old child and their stuffed feline. Maybe. Sheila and Moby, by me, Patrick Flynn, and directed by Courtney Lane Self, now playing at Flying V Theater. Visit flyingvtheater.com for tickets and performance information. Before we get started, I need to thank another Patreon patron. Thank you, Roberto. Mysterious. No last name. Binge listener. And now, patron. Hero? Who's to say? Me, you're a hero. Want to get thanked on the air? Just go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and tell me I had you at hello. There are a few tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. Our pilot episode on Moulin Rouge is available on this feed so you can sample before you buy. October's movie is The Rocky Horror Picture Show with guests Jason Slofstein and Courtney Lane Self. We discover why it's not easy having a good time. Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a director, choreographer, and pain in my butt. <laughs> it's Courtney Lane Self, everybody. Yay! Yay! I'm never a pain in your we should, or anybody's we should, I, I just figured we should start this being honest with the audience from the jump <laughs> that this is going to be contentious but good-natured that's right and or not that's <laughs> no, right if you were here that. you would see a smile on our faces yes the whole time right courtney is directing currently is directing by the time this comes out we'll have directed sheila and moby for flying v theater we will be open when you hear this but today we're here to talk about Crazy for you. When I'm dancing, I don't care if this whole world stops turning, or if my bank is burning, or even if Romania wants to fight Albania. I'm not upset, and I refuse to fret. He's not upset. Oh, no. And you refuse to fret. That's for me. Take a message. Best musical of all time. You said something eight minutes ago <laughs> that is absolutely insane. <laughs> and I want to make you say it again. Great. Because I know you will. Great. So we were talking about Gypsy, uh-huh. which is everyone who listens to this podcast knows is, is one of my, some days is my favorite musical of all uh-huh. time, but it's uh-huh. certainly one of my favorite musicals uh-huh. of all time. And you said. Well, and listen, 
I love Gypsy. No, just say what you said. I said that I think, and I also know that I'm provoking you. Yes, that, yes, that you I, absolutely are, and I know that. That I think Crazy for You is a better show than Gypsy. <laughs> I under Look, your opinion <laughs> that Gypsy is such a great show yeah. is not an unpopular one. You no. Are, you are with the, oh, yeah, no, I'm not, with I'm the not, majority there. I am not. No, I have no You're illusions. Not I'm, not, I'm not I'm not swinging against the grain <laughs> with that one. Absolutely not. And no. I, I do like Gypsy, but I got to be honest with you there. Uh, uh, I think structurally it's a beautiful show, but I think there's a lot about it um, where I go. Yes, there's this and there's this, but there's a lot that sort of leaves me wanting more. Um, I think maybe it's the subject matter sort of okay uh, yeah you know, there's a lot sure there. and i also think that um you know i recognize that it's sondheim and everybody loves sondheim and i do too but a lot of the songs i'm like they're actually they're not great and i think structure wise it's not yeah well no right. i, I would think it's a i think it's a beautiful example of a musical and i think that in a lot of ways in, in the ways that other musicals are sort of flawed Gypsy doesn't have that. Well, that's why I say, I think I said this to you once already, but I said on this show, it's the best pre-1970 post-Oklahoma Broadway musical. Right. It is the, of that form, it is the apex of that book musical form that Oscar Hammerstein sort of worked his whole career to develop. Um, it never got better than that in that sort of setting. Um so yes, I take your point, you know, it, it, it is, and I, and I'm a structure fanatic, so obviously that's something I'm going to love. But, but crazy for you. To paraphrase, I know. to paraphrase Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction, <laughs> Crazy for You and Gypsy. It's not even the same ballpark. It's not the same league. It's not even the same sport. Because for me, but I want to start. So that's your that's your tease, audience. Because I want to start very simply with how did Crazy for You come into your life? Um, you know I don't know if I know the ultimate genesis point but I was a I uh performed growing up um I probably started in earnest at, like I was telling you last night that carousel was my first yeah. community theater show I was a sixth grader when I did that so it started in a, in a really sort of pivotal time in a kid's life yeah you know my love of musical theater and no joke about three weeks into rehearsals for that and nobody in my family's in theater at all three weeks into carousel I was like that's what I want to do with my life. Dad, I'm going to be on Broadway. Like it, mm -hmm. I knew right away. So, um, and I was a dancer too. Right. So I really, I, as a kid, I studied singing, dancing and acting. Um, and so I liked dance shows and crazy for you was this relatively, is definitely that. Yeah. Yeah. It was relatively new. Also that, that would have been, uh, 96. Oh yeah. So, so I mean, this shows so 92. New. So it's still it was relatively yeah, new. touring a bunch. Right. And, yeah. Right. Right. And, okay. and Buzz, it was still like it had. It, it went. It was like Broadway and then West End and then like it was. Yeah. De de it was all over years the place. In a row. Oh sure. It was winning all the best musical awards. Um, so I think it was relatively new. And I was a, I was a tap dancer. I went to a dance studio that sort of specialized in tap dance. And um, I also um, was beginning my love of sort of Gene Kelly and of that sort of musical theater format and what sort of um old hollywood musical felt mm, like mm -hmm. um and then i also love gershwin i i think gershwin the gershwins are my favorite you know composer slash lyricist sure songwriting team yeah um so I think I just loved it generally as a kid. I never did it. I never performed in it when I was young. Mm -hmm. And so 
where it really started playing um, a, a meaningful role in my life was in grad school when I got to the place of needing to pitch ideas for my thesis project. And I kept coming back to Crazy For You as what I th- what I was thinking would be a good sort of solve of all of the, the things that I needed to get at for my particular which was what? What did you need to? So I got. Uh, so I was getting my MFA in direction, mm-hmm. which most of the time you're not dealing with people who are musical people. Right. So that it was rare in my program, and I think it's rare in general. Um, now there's there's and there's only a couple of degrees that are specifically like direction for musical for theater. There's right. only a couple of them in the nation. Um, so uh, my advisor had said to me for all of my previous major projects, I was not allowed to do musicals because Shigun, my advisor, hated musicals. Sure. He hated them um, for all of the reasons that many people do. And I think really good reasons. And that was, I think, the germinating seed for another thing that I, that Shigun required of my thesis. As he said, well, first of all, I want you to do a musical for your thesis. I think it's mm. and I think you do as well. I've been holding you off. Right. Um, I did a Chekhov farce and then I did King Lear. And then okay. I did Crazy for You. Crazy so Shigun was like, let's an, get all the things. That's an eclectic selection. Yes, like yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, um, I, I, it, I, I had realized that something I feel called by is, is listening to what Shigun was telling me about musical theater and listening to some of the naysayers in my life about sort of the, the, the fluffiness or the illegitimacy of musical theater as a form in general. Um, and... Uh, sort of analyzing that um maybe partially defending the musical theater form but then also um a a sort of almost a call to action to musical theater as a genre that Mm -hmm. the genre itself needs to evolve in ways that i think many times it fails to um so the the thesis sort of uh hovers around that any any um practical based or performance based thesis project is at least 50% the project you worked on. So right. like a lot of what I was doing was just talking about the process of the show that I directed. But the underpinning of that, the reason why I picked Crazy For You was to sort of test theories on can you uh, revive musicals and keep them still moving the genre forward and not have it be um, sort of backward steps or mm-hmm. illegitimate. Or just a rehash of right. what and, was done before. And... Um, Peter Brook calls it deadly theater. He talks about deadly theater and he says a really good example of this in the theatrical canon is musical theater as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, So there's a notion, there's something about it that, you know, maybe that it's only commercial in, like it's only concern is commerciality or I think that's maybe part of it. But anyway, for further notes on right, this please, say, you, anybody thesis. is welcome to purchase my thesis there you go you'll be the second person to have done it nice um so uh so there's that so i think that's what it was and I, I was trying to figure out something that i was passionate about um and that i think would stand up to the test of of you know really analyzing it really making sure it had um, relevance had the potential to have relevance, um, had the potential to dig deep into it while still really looking like a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. Well, this is a musical. Yeah, it really. I mean, is. it is musical of musicals. Yeah, yeah. The musical, yeah, like yeah. it is, it is capital M, capital U S I C A L exclamation point. Yes, this is a musical. Um, yeah, I didn't want to shy away from that. I'm sure. trying to think. Well, no, no, no. Like I, I could have been like, I want to do Caroline or change. I could have, right. you know what I mean? Like I. I, I could have done something that very clearly is distinguishing itself, but... Well, then, so 
to get the nitty gritty out of the way, there's two pieces of nitty gritty we need to deal with because I think my impression of Crazy for You before I started really digging because this is my wife Kelly's like one of her absolute favorite musicals <gasps> as well like 120 percent this is this you know, seeing Kelly's this on always the road, on my side she is 100 percent I'm just saying yeah um it, this is one of those musicals she saw and it was just like oh yeah it can be it can be that like yeah. that's something we're allowed you're allowed to do yeah um so you know it, this is a musical I've listened to a bunch but it was not a musical I ever frankly cared for. And we'll get into that in a second. But there's yeah, two two things I sort of want. So I think that my impression of just how much of a jukebox musical this is uh-huh. is mistaken. Uh-huh. But since you did the research, yeah, yeah, I, I want to just ask you yeah. how much of a jukebox musical is this, and how much work did Ken Ludwig do to make it like is is this an adaptation of is it crazy. is it more an adaptation of Girl Crazy or is it more a Girl Crazy is like this is where we're starting, mm-hmm. and then we're just going to do whatever we want on top of it. So another interesting piece here, and this was another reason why I ultimately went to Crazy For You. was It was on my short list, mm-hmm. but then I, w- I was at a conference in New York, um, at just grad school, just presenting something or something, mm-hmm. and I was in the process of, of culling my, my list down, and I went into the, the book fair sure. area, and there was a... Um, I actually... I think I, I think I weirdly had lend me a tenor on my list too. I was like, and if I don't do a musical, I would maybe want to. Is that right? Am I remembering that right? I feel like there were two Ken Ludwig pieces. Anyway, mm-hmm. there was a Ken Ludwig spread out oh, okay. of like all his stuff, and I walked up to the lady booth, selling yeah. it, and I was like, oh, this is great. This is so fortuitous. How mm-hmm. much are these things? And she said, they're seven dollars a piece, and there's Ken Ludwig pointed behind me. Oh and wow! I slowly turned around and was like waiting to I see a poster. I was waiting to see like oh. a picture of Ken. <laughs> and there's like a man standing there. I was like, where's the poster? Right. She was like, no, that person. <laughs> Excuse right me, there sir. Do you the, know yeah. where the poster of Ken <laughs> Ludwig is? <laughs> so I, so I introduced myself. I walked up to him and sure. I and I told him sort of the situation, and he was, I just can't plug. Kenny Ludwig enough I uh, he was genuine right from the get go and he was like I would love it if you did crazy for you for your thesis I would love to be a resource for you oh wow here's my information blah 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 oh blah, yeah blah. that's it then that's then it then I was doing, like done absolutely. yeah yeah there was enough there's, connection for me there's no way yeah. and that happened and I was like you have it's, a primary source great exactly yeah. um, I was like oh my thesis is going to change the world right. now no um, but uh, so that happened and um uh, so I did the, the whole process. I was able to be in contact with mm-hmm. Ken, who lives here. He's oh, in, in DC? The, he's in the DC. Oh, he's I based didn't know out that. of the DC area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, we'll have to get him on the show. I know. Ken. That'd be fantastic. Listen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an invitation for it. You have to have me back when that happens. Oh, so, okay. As the connecting point. Well, you're going to have to pay your own way, but sure. Uh, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was able to talk with him, kind of uh, communicate with him both via email and multiple phone interviews. We did a Skype uh, talk with the cast too like oh, we wow. skyped him in and had like a long talk where everybody could ask him questions that was open to the university like it was a so he was he was first i just can't say good enough things about ken ludwig yeah as if i didn't like crazy for you before right i think that's part of what it is too and the the so part of this thesis was staging the show yeah so okay. um in any in any uh, uh same with uh, like all the mfas in 
theater arts. So set design and mm-hmm. costume design and playwriting. And the thesis is is really practice based. It's really you are writing your thesis on your thesis project on the show, on the show that, that was your thesis. Gotcha. Um, but all of the sort of background and research and analysis and reason why you yeah why you did this is important for it too. Yeah. Um, gotcha. So. Uh, so anyway, so I was able to talk with Ken a lot. So not only like the research that anybody is privy to, but I could also specifically get to ask him some questions. So hopefully I'll let the listeners in on some details Ooh. that only people who have read my thesis know. Right. Um, but uh, so what happened was, and if I get, I just want to say right now that I might be getting all of my facts wrong. Sure. I'm pretty sure I don't I'm think right. you, you don't think you're getting I went wrong, back and sure. I read like one page of my thesis before we did this, but... Um, so it was a really good page. So it was a good one. I picked a good, good one. Page. page 27. That's right. Uh, it was masterful. Yeah. Um, uh, somewhere uh, in the 1990-ish people, I think it was actually the, I think it was actually people connected to the Gershwin estate mm-hmm. came to Ken Ludwig and said, oh, wow. we want you to do this. So he he was I don't know if he was commissioned in the formal sense I, I he may have been but the point is people approached him Gershwin estate people approached him and they said we want you to essentially revamp girl crazy um but then they said uh, and I don't know if it was in like communications I don't know if Ken kept asking questions about it and right. they you know or if they came and right off said this but what it ended up being was uh, our ideas for you to revamp girl crazy uh, but at the end of the day you have the entire Gershwin canon mm-hmm. and you can do what you want. Oh wow. Like they went to him for they went to him because they felt like he would be the playwright yeah. to bring a book to life to do the thing by incorporating mm-hmm. the Gershwin tunes. So essentially the entire canon of Gershwin songs was available to him and uh, actually one of his caveats in accepting this was that he did not have to stay true to Girl Crazy. Cuz he said uh, I I did actually reread this quote, but he said something to me that was something that was that was honest, and he was right, and and I think mm. important, especially with what I was talking about before that um, girl crazy is sort of stale, and there's no reason mm-hmm. to do it again. And if he had to do that, he wouldn't have taken on Don't the project. Have done it. Yeah. So um, you know, crazy for you is sort of randomly, you know. Bobby goes to Dead Rock, Nevada, and who knows why we went to the West, but arguably. Right. Ken decided to use some of the inspiration of Girl Crazy. Well, it's a pretty, I don't know how tropish it was in 31 when Girl Crazy debuted. Mm-hmm. But it's become tropish. But it became tropish. very yeah. tropish. It's the kind of let's do the show right here yeah. thing. Yeah, sure. The let's vibe put on a show. Yeah, let's yeah, put on yeah, a show yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Which like Judy Garland and, uh, Mickey, and Rooney. Mickey Rookie Rooney like made a career out yeah, of for, for five years. Made 47 movies. We've got hay bales right. and a barn. And it was. This was adapted and all these by... Hands. This was this is this movie has Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland in it, I believe, the moody adaptation of Girl Crazy. You know, I never saw it. So I, I don't think know. that's true. I think I'm right about that. So but that sort of roadshow, let's do the show right here yes. and this thing. So by the time Ken came to it, yeah. it was it was a thing. Yeah. And so he could but tweak it, is it also, but still but it use is a that real tweak of it he could really but he could he had a framework that the audience understood i'm saying yeah that he could then yes. build on yeah. and everybody would go oh i know what this show is but the like out west podunk right. cowboy town was right. girl crazy right so seemingly the strongest element that he used from girl crazy was just the setting Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that was that so he just used that as as i don't know inspiration he decided not to 
you know, completely reinvent the thing or whatever, or, or something stuck with him. But sure. he, um, and, you know, I also am not entirely certain on how many of the Girl Cra Crazy songs are also in Crazy For You, but I know there's a handful, and then Ken just continued to use whatever he wanted. He literally mm -hmm. looked through the, 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 the trunk, as it were, the literal and... Really quickly, just reading Trump. through the song list of Girl Crazy, you've got Embraceable yeah. You. So that's in it. I Got Rhythm. Yeah, that's in it. Those are the two biggest hits. But Oh, but not for me. Sorry. Three it. big hits. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm sure there's a handful of others, but nothing. Yeah, nothing like nothing's major. leaping out at me. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Except for those three yeah. Gershwin standards. Yeah. Biden My Time. That's that? in it, too. That's in it? Okay. Yeah. There you go. Which makes sense. That feels so cowboy. Right. Oh, it actually says on, <laughs> here's, a, here's a shortcut. Huh. It says on the um, Crazy For You Wikipedia page, which songs are from what show. Oh. So Biden My Time, Could You Use Me, Embraceable oh. You, I Got Rhythm, and But Not For Me yeah. are from Girl Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a handful. Mm -hmm. yeah. I stand by my words. Good yeah. job. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so there was that, and then, but then Ken completely had the freedom to do whatever he Well, obviously, wanted. I mean, that's fewer than half the yes. song, so he yeah. obviously went. Yeah. Went a little, well, he did what he was told he could do. Yeah. <laughs> he did and what he wanted. The other thing that I love about it, and and I don't know if this is when we want to bring this up, but since we're talking about Ken, mm -hmm. and I think this is part of why I I really respect Crazy For You, um, that in many ways, well, there's a, there's a couple things that I think are great about it. In the early 90s there, um, this is something I was rereading my thesis too, where I was like, oh, that's not a bad point, is that um, what we were seeing sort of on Broadway at that time was um, nobody was playing into American nostalgia, or not nobody, but it wasn't, we were we were exploring other things. Miss Saigon, um, uh, Once on this Island, um, uh, you know, Phantom of the Opera, uh, Chess. Mm. Uh, you know, these, these, these shows are, are, are very sort of distinctly uh, not American in their setting. Right. Uh, you know, obviously Miss Saigon brings in, you know, the notion of Americanism, but... Well, it was... That was, I mean, this show hit right at the right moment. It is a, it yeah. is an actual, it's an example, because also that year, mm. so the show that was, had been huge, I think two years prior, was Will Rogers' Follies, that musical. Oh, okay. So that, that started, that, that start, like and that was same, a mega, yeah, mega hit. Yeah. And that started this like, hey, like, yeah. why don't we do more Come nostalgic stuff? And yeah. this year alone, this is 1992 Tony Awards, Crazy For You, Five Guys Named Mo, yeah. Jelly's Last Jam, uh -huh. Guys and Dolls, yeah. and The Most Happy Fella yeah. are all playing. Very, very... And specifically, Guys and Dolls and Crazy For You yeah. are this same 30s through the 90s look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, from their aesthetic, totally. costume design, set design, it is the 30s, kind of... And it, well, it all kind of is... Guys and Dolls is, is 50s. Is, guys and Dolls is 50s. Is 50s. But it... But guys still. and Dolls is super amorphous in when it's yeah. set. It's It's... No, it's not. It's fifties. Well, it's set. I understand that. I know it's like actually set in the fifties. Really, but 50s. if you if you go to see productions of Guys and Dolls, but that's just bad research. I, I understand and that. I can't but account I'm saying, for that. But it doesn't. It doesn't hold itself. It's like a Christmas story. The movie. You kind of go. Yeah, it's somewhere in it's the nineteenth century. That vein yeah. there. It's like pre post war. Pre post war. Oh, Christmas story. No, yeah. I was doing Christmas Carol. Okay, oh, no, no, not that. We know when that's Christmas set. story. Yeah, Christmas that, story. That the movie. Too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and the musical. But so, but in any event, they're both like in that. Uh, they both do that thing that that uh, yeah. I think is tipped off by Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy, where it's like yeah. big lapels, yeah. primary colors, well pressed. It yeah. looks kind of cartoony. Yeah. And so yeah, crazy for you coming sliding in with all these other shows is absolutely in the right one place of the, at the right time. reviews of Crazy for You was like, um, and you know, 
And just like that, last night we heard a crashing sound that brings the triumph of Broadway, it's, uh, you know, or it's, the musical theater, back to the United it's States the, um, from yeah, the it's, UK. Uh, I read that, and I'm going to find it real yes. fast because it was the New York Times review. Yeah, and it because it was um, was it Ben Brantley? Mm. Was he doing the review? I don't remember. Then? I don't remember who it was. But it, it was a it was a pretty triumphant statement. It's a huge statement. Yeah. I mean, I, when I read it, I couldn't. I kind of couldn't couldn't believe Frank Rich. When future historians try to find the exact moment at which Broadway finally rose up to grab the musical yep. back from the British, they may just conclude the revolution began last night and the first shot was fired at the Schubert Theater, where a riotously entertaining show called Crazy for You uncorked the American musical's classic blend of music, laughter, dancing, sentiment, and showmanship yep. with a freshness and confidence rarely seen during the Cats decade. There's more. Crazy for You scrapes away. Decades of cabaret and jazz and variety show interpretations to reclaim the Gershwin standards in all their glorious youth for the dynamism of the stage. Damn. Yeah, it's, that it's, is a it is five a, line quote. Yeah, and it's Jesus. It, that's Frank Rich. I mean, is man not can write. Around. No, man can yeah. write. Man can write a sentence. Yeah. So, yeah. so yes, I mean, and so that's what I think is really interesting about it is is and, and in all honesty, I think what what Crazy for You was doing mm-hmm. for sort of the landscape of of Broadway and you know musical theater was a really really great thing however i i totally think however many years later we are now what 20 uh 26 years later yeah um we are and i would say starting maybe a decade ago we are moving in sort of decidedly different directions that i think are really important so i do look back on crazy for you and there's a part of me that thinks it is such it, so many things about it are stock or tropes, as yeah, you said, yeah. or mm-hmm. archetypal or something like that. Um, I just think what was great about it was in many ways it sort of got things on track, back on track. And it did it. I just think Ken Ludwig did it in a really great way, a really smart way, mm. a really sophisticated way, a sort of really unassailable way. Um, I think that's part of what I admire about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that. A thing that I have said, and I, I certainly think directing the piece makes me hone, hone in on this more, but I think that the book of Crazy For You is is one of the best written books of a book musical ever. Mm-hmm. I think it is really, and I mean, I'll go into all the reasons why I think that. Because I, you know, I, I was so, I was so intimately in tune with it in, in ways that in, in all the other shows I've done, there's such a sense of, and you know who knows why we're here, but it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean in the story? You mean in, in the within script? the story, within the script, the script and yeah. or and or how the songs and and the book integrates mm-hmm. itself, etc. So I just I continue to be. I think I'm also really impressed with the the sort of um, uh, the sort of uh, uh, exquisite corpse esque. <laughs> You know what I mean? That like what happened was you know it was girl crazy was sort of the impetus, right? Which was whatever, whenever Girl Crazy was, 31. 31. Yeah. Uh, and then the Gershwin canon, which spans the real American folk song as a rag, is like 1918 or something right. when Gershwin wrote it. So we're feeling ragtime. And then we're getting into, of course, the mid 30s. Right. When did George Gershwin die? 37, 30. Something like something that. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, the songs span a couple decades, of course. Sure. Um, and it is. Uh, set so there's source material that was 1937 aha it just sticks in the noggin sometimes yeah I know such a sad sad thing Um, but uh, so uh, you know some of the source material is actually um, 
native to the setting, the year that the, the piece mm-hmm. is set. Um, but then uh, it's Ken Ludwig writing in the 90s mm-hmm. um, to, to try to bring that. And, and like you said, to, that it feels like Guys and Dolls. It, it feels like it's solidly set in when you say musicals were really like hitting their heyday. It's a thing you like fifties and or pre nineteen seventy. Well, it's pre the 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 feel of what the pre-1970. We, what is called. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, there's a vibe. There's a vibe that that kind of musical. So there's a has. mishmash of of sort of time periods, and there's a mishmash of, and certainly Ken Ludwig had to mishmash it together. Sure. And I just I I I also think as a trunk show, it's it's in, if you didn't know as a trunk show, it's sort of indistinguishable as a trunk show. Whereas like you look at all shook up and you're like, oh, this thing is a mess. Well, it know? is no, it is the. <laughs> Yes, I will say the term jukebox musical is derogatory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on balance. It should not be. Right. There are some right. tremendous ones, right. even as recently as Beautiful, the yeah. uh, the Carol King. Well, but I'm saying, yeah, there. That's a real musical. Yes. That is yes. taking existing songs yes. and crafting an actual story. Yeah. And using the songs to tell the story, which is what Crazy for You is. It is not all shook up. It is not Smokey Joe's Cafe. It is well, not... Well, all shook up tries to do it. They, there's, I think all of them... Try to do it. All of them yeah. live in this weird world yeah, yeah, yeah. of like, well, we've got to pretend. That's right. And like... People will love the People music, will love so the pretending. They'll, they'll forgive us. Yeah. And I've seen the ones where they don't. It's really funny how you think, like, because you sort of go, God, why are they... This stupid plot. Why are they yeah, pretending? Yeah. Just sing the songs. I've yeah. seen ones where they don't and you're like, oh, that's why. That's why. Like Beehive. You ever seen Beehive? Yes. Yeah. As soon as there's nothing, but that's even how I feel about like the marvelous Wonderettes, mm-hmm. and some people love it, and I'm like, well, some people love Beehive. Beehive did really well, but it is you sit watching this like, oh, just go to a concert. This is painful. Yeah. Like I'm, I don't know why this isn't yeah. a show. You kind yes. of have that feeling. Like, this is not a show. Right. It's a show. It's not a. It's not a play. Like I'm not getting. I'm. You're not even pretending. Yeah. And that's problematic right. all of a sudden. Right. Um. I used to, it's a small tangent, but I used to wonder, like a Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. I used to sit and go, gosh, I wonder why they have these dumb sketches in between the movie, like just show the movie. Yeah. And then the same guys did one called Cinematic Titanic, which was the same bit, except it didn't have any host sketches in the middle. Oh. And I suddenly went, uh, oh, that's why this is relentless. Yeah. And like, and I don't care about these people talking, like there was something about learning who these characters were and then rooting for their jokes that made you like the show more. Exactly right. It gives you some. It gives you something. You need it. You didn't. You didn't know you needed it until it was gone. And that's how I feel about. We these will plots. suspend our disbelief, but you have to motivate us to do so. And I also that's, think you have to thing. feel like I think we want to feel like you care about like the, that yeah. the authors yes. and the people yes. are like, listen, we know you spent. You're we're spent you're, we're, we're asking for your time, yep. and so we are caring about that. We yes. are speaking of which. Do you think, I know you can, I don't even, I'm not even asking you anything. Could you summarize the plot of Crazy yes. for You, please? So, uh, Bobby Child um, is a dude who lives in New York. He is some kind of businessy business guy. Uh, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it matters. I, I don't think it does yeah. either. Um, well, it it only sort of does. He he does something. He does. I don't know. He does something with money. Like right. they lend money an, to yes, businesses. Yeah. He or something. has yeah. a lot of money. Yes, and access to more money. Yeah, and really, he doesn't. He's in the family business. Mm-hmm. His mom is sort of in charge. We never meet his dad. I actually don't know about that. But anyway, his he 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 essentially works for his mom. Uh, he has a fiance. And he also has dreams of Broadway. Um, so he is in the business world, but really what he wants to do is tap dance on Broadway. 
we see in the beginning that he is kind of a bumbling klutz and his dreams of Broadway may not be so reasonable. Um, uh, we meet mom and fiance who are appropriately suffocating and uh, in a moment of panic where fiance is saying, oh, we need to get married right now. Fiance is uh, Irene. Irene? Okay. Irene Adler. Um, Irene Roth. Irene, Irene Adler is uh, Irene Roth. Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Oh, yeah, you're right. Irene. Is it Roth? <laughs> yeah, I like, don't Roth. even remember that yeah. last name at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and in a twist, right. in a turn of Sherlock Irene Holmes. Adler shows up. Uh, Irene is her name. Uh, Irene says, uh, we, I'm tired of waiting. We need to get married now. And mom, on the other hand, says, uh, I need you to go to Dead Rock, Nevada to, to get the deed of this um theater where they're like they haven't paid in a while so you right. got to go take charge of that bobby looks at the two opportunities presented right, to him flees. and goes to dead rock runs right. to dead rock nevada um where he happens upon this you know he finds this sleepy uh town and one of the first things that happens is he meets the uh only woman in 50 miles that's literally <laughs> what they say about her again ludwig makes her stand out make sure she'll stand right. out um Polly right. is her name. He immediately falls for her spirit and her spunk, and she wants nothing to do with him. Uh, and he finds out that Polly is um, knows about this um, Ziegfeld, this uh, Ziegfeld style uh, New York theater mm-hmm. impresario named Bella Zangler. Which is the guy that uh, you you say summarize and I'm failing. Sorry. Um, which is the guy that uh, Bobby knows him. Bobby auditioned for him in the first scene. We saw him fail at his uh, audition okay. with, in front of Zangler. Okay. Uh, so Polly brings up Zangler and how much she admires Zangler and, and her mom used to 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 be in theater and that's why they want to hang on to this theater that Bobby ultimately needs to shut down. And Bobby hatches a plan to save the theater and to get Polly to fall in love with him right. by deciding to uh, disguise himself as Bella Zangler. Right. So, um, and he is friends with all the chorus girls um, who are currently in Zangler show. He, be, because he hangs around the stage door, I guess a lot. He's yeah. really close friends with uh, Tess who um, really the notable person who came up, Beth Level. Right. Beth Level original, played Tess. Uh, but he's friends with Tess and all of the chorus girls. So he 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 telegrams them up or whatever. And um, they come out to Dead Rock and they come off of a train. He comes off impersonating himself as Bella Zangler. Um, Bobby whips up a show. He uh, he and the chorus girls teach all the cowboys how to dance. Um, and he is bringing in a new spirit into the town. And Polly falls in love with, of course, Zangler and not Bobby. She finds Zangler irresistible and finds Bobby repulsive. Um, they put on a show. Nobody shows up. Right. Uh, Zangler rolls in. Real Zangler, real Zangler rolls into up, town. Right. And it's because Zangler and Tess have a relationship. And Tess just broke up with him or something. Is that why? It's I, I don't know. He's following after Tess. Sure. Who he's in love with. Uh, and then the, the dual identity comes out in one of the most hysterical scenes ever what causes this or what causes uh, that it's it's before that it's when oh. Zangler, it's in actually in the bar the the song what causes that is very funny but mm. it's an actual scene oh this book scene okay it's on my reel if we want to pull it up and watch it oh my it. goodness um but uh so that happens polly you know the truth comes out polly feels betrayed 
um, by Bobby, of sure. course. It all right. falls apart. As Bobby decides to. to go back to New York. Uh, Polly and Bobby leave on, you know, unrequited terms. Mm-hmm. Bobby goes back to New York. Fast forward six weeks. He is a lifeless and lonely man once again. Uh, everybody else decided to stay in Dead Rock. The chorus girls and Zangler are like, no, this place is great. <laughs> Who needs Broadway? This old theater is perfect. Um, and in a last ditch effort, both Polly and Bobby realize that they actually really love each other. And um, Bobby goes back to Dead Rock as Polly is headed to go to New York. Mm-hmm. And they run into each other. And they waltz, waltz to their love in the finale. I think I did it. You did it. Yeah. This, like, what's so funny about these shows? And I, I'm sure Girl Crazy, the original, is just how much story there are. Like, everybody's got a job. A everybody's got a yeah. goal. Everybody's got a yes. thing. Because it does have to end in that everybody's paired off way. And if yeah. you and if you want the audience to care, you have to introduce the character, give them a thing, give them an obstacle, and then go. And so, like, yeah, it's not just, you really have to write this thing. You absolutely have to write a, st- a script for this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, you know, that's another thing about Ken Ludwig, too, that I think is really interesting in talking with him. Uh, uh, his, his words, his stories, his... Um, you know, the genesis of, of why he does what he does goes back actually to a, a real love and passion for the tradition of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, comedy starting with Shakespeare and Johnson and moving into Sheridan and Congreve and um, moving into Shaw and Wilde. And, um, and Ken said to me once in one of our interviews that he felt like the next major, uh, like, Thing to pick up the mantle of comedy mm-hmm. was the American musical, uh, mu- the American musical comedy mm-hmm. um, was was sort of the next great it- iteration of comedy. Um, so Ludwig, in, a- in addition to like his wonderful farces that he writes, I mean, I think Lend Me a Tenor is another mm-hmm. just great comedy, great show. He writes a good musical too. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has a real love and appreciation, and and he is a, a true student. You should hear him talk about comedy. It's it, he just schooled me. He just we you know there was one time where we were on the phone. And he just walked me through it all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a man who number one knows what he's talking about. Number two, really loves it. And number three is really his work is truly motivated by that. So, you know, as I go through Crazy for You and I see you know, all of the devices that he employs, I'm like, this is a true student and master of comedy mm-hmm. so sure yeah all right yeah i mean it's i'm not gonna argue with ken ludwig's career there's certainly there's no argument to be had um okay the argument to be had yes let's, <laughs> let's hear it. I, I would love to hear it so here's, to hear here's here's my thing i've never seen the show okay and as i always say what i've never seen the show so my my analysis is my my appreciation is incomplete yeah right right i've seen some of, but not all of, the um, per- great performances video. Right. But so my main experience with it is through is through the CD. I like Gershwin's music uh-huh. as much as the next person. Okay. Uh, but I have to say, the CD washes over me, and I don't notice it's happening. Right. And I also will say that and this is really funny because I just talked about this with Robin when we were talking about Rent. Mm-hmm. In the period of, it feels like 
and this is a really interesting phenomenon, American musical theater, Broadway specifically, embraced Crazy For You mm-hmm. and then immediately rejected it. Uh-huh. And like, it ran for four years. Like, it ran for a while yeah. and it did really, really run. well. But it was, it's so funny that it was immediately, re- I, and I, I say that, like roundly rejected and and then not duplicated. In Based on what? Rejection so, based on what? Based on the fact that over the next four years until rent comes along basically we tread water in musical theater development to rent and then what happens at rent because it takes several years for shows to get even at this point it takes at least a year for a show to get to broadway now it takes it can take 10 Ten. Mm-hmm. um what you have is a divergence in 96 to me of like there's the group who went, hey, rent. Yeah. And there's the group who went, you know, movie adaptations yes. will make a lot of money. Yeah. And that was where we were. And we kind of lived there for quite a while in this like it's just if, if it's not a movie, it's not getting made. And then every now and then like people trying to do stuff and and nowhere in there was there room for the traditional musical theater, uh, musical form. comedy. It'd be yeah. the form itself yeah. became anathema yeah, yeah and then we enter the next period that i've talked about a bunch on this show of like you can't make a musical unless you're being self-referential about how dumb musicals are yep but i do think in the late 90s what happened was musical theater started to explode into um realizing that it needed some new forms it was like ah the 80s were rough and you know so i do think that was happening and, and i think that is part of what explains the crazy for you was a giant hit and then it was as if we immediately turned our back on it. Yeah. And I, I guess the way I think about it is rather than I don't think it was a rejection so much as it was like crazy for you was like a reassertion of the foundation to to springboard off of crazy for you and the other musicals that sure. you kind of talked about. That's sort of what I think. I don't I don't think that we I don't get the sense but that we didn't we get, roundly yeah, rejected. I say rejected, though, because like what's funny to me about it is that once there's a Gershwin hit musical, why wasn't there an Irving Berlin musical? Why wasn't there a uh, Sammy Kahn? You, like, you know what I mean? Like we, because like Jelly's Last right, Jam like and, and Crazy For You. Exactly right. Because what you expect to see is like, off. you expect to see nine Crazy For You imitators. But that's, it's also, this is also when we're swinging Just, hard. Yeah. Guys and Dolls introduced the whole, Re- the, the there was a revival of revolution. Revival. Yes. Of, yeah. And you had yeah. le- sort of led unintentionally by Nathan Lane. It's so funny how yeah. like, but you really do, like, cause like uh, yeah. the same year as Rent, he's doing Forum. Yeah, yeah. And like, and yeah. there's a Company revival and yeah. a Dolly revival yeah. and a King and I revival. Yeah. Like these are like classic Carousel musicals. Carousel was a big revival that So maybe that's 96. what happened. I it's mean, like people went, "Ooh, crazy for you! We love that. This show's like right. that. Let's do. And let's then just do that, that show. was the lesson they learned. Yeah, yeah. They learned the wrong. Go lesson. back to it. Go but back. Like, literally, go back it. to it. Not yes. write new stuff. Not yes. not pr- not play with the foundation. Right. It's so. I guess that's what happened. I guess crazy for you comes and is a smash. And instead of going, hey, they go. Everything goes kind of in the other direction. And it's like let's just revive. What do we What do we have? Like literally, because we already have everything them. because we've got it. And I that am... is that is what people loved about it is that Ken Ludwig, like I said, he just refound the form in such a solid way, and it and it felt new, and it's because it was new. Like I said, he was writing a new book with some of the like, you know, Gershwin is you you could argue that Gershwin is the greatest composer of all time. George Gershwin like wrote certainly the, greatest the, American composer. Yes, like, I yeah, think without too know, much, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you, so he's he's like in that realm. Yeah. So 
you know, there were just a lot of things about it that were that were just right. Ken Ludwig was the man for the job. Yeah. You know, and he. Oh, a thousand percent. What I think is interesting about, you, you know, from you saying like, oh, I, I can't wait to do this because I don't really like Crazy for You. And I'm like, Ugh. um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not my favorite musical, but I love it. Sure. And it's t- it's up there for me. But you also said just not too long ago, you said, um, I haven't seen it. Right. And uh, it's just, you are just listening to yes. the, and what I find interesting about your podcast, this podcast that I'm on right now, yes. is I don't like recordings. I don't hmm. really listen to original recordings. I mean, I do because I have to, mm-hmm. because I'm like, ah, this is, uh, it's a one out of ten for me, but at least it's a one. At least it's not a zero. Mm. Is sometimes how I think about it. And um, so I don't like, I don't like recordings. And it it might be. I think there's a number of reasons, but I think one of the reasons is because, um, I I'm I am a a, a practitioner mm-hmm. of musical theater. So like I want to get in the room and do it. And I want, uh, like that's my experience with it. I want to watch it. I want to do it. Um. I don't have any experience in the the sitting down and the writing of it. Like the solitary experience of a musical or mm-hmm. a play is of less interest to me, of course, just by virtue of who I am in the theater. So, you know, I think that the recording probably washes over me too. Like I, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like I don't think I'm particularly passionate about the recording. Um, uh, what I'm passionate about when I listen to the recording is wh- what it connects for me knowing the show. Sure. So, so there's that, and and this is this is the moment where I start my campaign to bring you over to my side. Uh, no, but I I do think there's a couple things. Number one, the have you read? Have you ever? I'm sure you haven't. Have you read, read the book? The book? No. Yeah. So what's beautiful. A really amazing thing about this show, and when you're just sitting down and watching the musical, you would think it, the average person isn't going to think it, but they're going to feel it, how well integrated it is. Mm -hmm. And I use uh, integrated both sort of as a general term, but also like the musical theater integrated with a capital I. It's not really a capital, but you know what I mean? The notion of like the the standards by which we judge. The thing that separates a fine musical from a great musical is the ability to integrate the book and the score. Like... Where things don't, where it's not park and barks, like. But also, yes, and 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 very specifically, the notion of integration that the music will move the plot forward. Right. Like if you pulled the song out and you look at what's right before the song starts and what's right after, that stuff has happened. Like yes. plot points have right. moved forward, exactly. Rather than pausing in time and singing a song. Um. Yeah. Although, on that note, I would argue that integration is many faceted. That is like the, the one of the first things that we came up with. I would argue that. Um a beautiful thing that musical theater is starting to do more of in its exploration is actually sort of a postmodern, non-realistic notion of what music and, and movement oh, sure. can do, sure. which musicals are like by definition, non-realistic. It is just sometimes they don't really, they don't play in the moment of why are we stopping and exploring this moment? Like, why do we pause and explore this moment? I think sometimes musicals treat it very superficially. They sort of forget what their postmodern brothers and sisters have learned with sort of surrealism and 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 expressionism to to play with 
Um, why is this emotion? Why is this moment in the plot? Why is it important to what's going on? And why is it important to the characters? And why are we showing it in non-realistic terms? And how can we really bring that to life and make sort of magic happen for the audience? That's the sort of transformative, you know, magical, uh, ephemeral experience that the audience can get. So I also am a fan of um, I love it when the music moves the plot forward and I, you know, am, you know, inspired by that. But I also love when there are opportunities to uh, get the audience to dig further into what's going in, in, in mm -hmm. the show. Crazy for you does both of those very successfully. Mm -hmm. I think um, I think Ken Ludwig uh, I, I really masterfully. It, I can't believe that he wasn't working with a team. Sure. That it wasn't him and the the composer and the lyricist going, okay, how? So the story goes like, and then, so why don't you guys write a song about, that's not what happened. He, he retrofitted it and it's really sort of. Well, they're not all hits. I mean, the, the, yeah. the thing that makes this. He really thought about it. He went, what can this song do to, to move the plot forward? He didn't use his words to move the plot forward a lot. He had, he had two advantages, I think three. He was working with the whole canon. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. But he, he was smart enough to know, I need the right song, not the hit song. There right. are enough hits. There right. will be enough hits. The confidence of him being like, if I just use the hits from Girl Crazy, that's enough hits. And I can add one or two others. And like, you have to have someone to watch over me in a Gershwin musical. So like he knew, I'm sure he knew like, okay, these things will be there. And then he was also working with though, a composition team that wrote character songs. Even though the shows they wrote necessarily didn't focus on plot or anything. Ira Gershwin... And for all of my complaints, like the Ben folds of his time. I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> I, I, I regret, but they're writing. I say they're writing songs of love, but not for me. They're writing. <laughs> they're writing character songs. This is yeah. a, it, Ira Gershwin starts with. It's always a song about like somebody in some place with a point of view. Yeah, it's not just a wash in the ethereal world of popular music. There is a Could You Use Me there. is a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. Could You Use Me is, well, first of all, I, th I think it's interesting you reminded me that Could You Use Me was also in Girl Crazy because Could You Use Me is not a Gershwin hit, mm -hmm. um, but it is written It is written like lines of dialogue. Yeah. It is written with quirky little details. It is, you know, it is written as if it was, it was you know, meant to be in a comedy um, and meant to be sung by characters and, yeah. you know, uh, it doesn't just speak in like sweeping cliches um, and you know figurative language. It, your ties are freakish. Your knees are weakish. Go back to flappers and how, you know what I mean. Like mm -hmm. it is written with specifics. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's a good example of like a song that not everybody knows. Um, there. Yeah, what causes that is another one. I mean, I don't know if it was a duet in its original and, and intention. What, what causes? Yeah, I, but I, it's a very. I don't think it was. I don't think it was either. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a, a a formed duet between two characters, one who's impersonating the other. The other's hammered, right? Isn't Zangler? They both are. They're both drunk. They're both drunk. And so Bobby is in character as the guy he's singing with, yeah. and they have an interaction. Well, like you say, that lives in this space. It has it. It does nothing but entertain. But it lives in the world we've created, and like this is a plot moment worth dwelling in. What you when you were talking about that, I will veer away from Crazy for You, and then I will come back to Crazy for You for a second. Is the thing that bugs me about a lot of musicals now is they overstate over they overlearn the lesson 
that the songs need to advance plot or character yeah. or setting. Yeah. They can advance mood. So, yes. I mean, Hamilton is a work of staggering genius. Yeah. And has, it never comes up for air once. Right. And that, okay, maybe like the reprise of like the story of tonight, yes. but like it never stops. It that. is a That's relentless exactly what I musical. Yeah. I'm like, you could probably get rid of that. <laughs> I love it. I love Hamilton yeah. to pieces. It's a yeah. piece of staggering genius. Yeah. I have very little personal emotional connection to it. Yeah. Dear Evan Hansen never comes up for air. Ever. Right. It just is relentless all the way through. However, Fun Home, see how I did that, has a song, has a couple songs in it, but the one that always comes to my mind is Raincoat of Love, where it in the moment is just a piece of what in the world? Like, isn't this funny? And then all of a sudden, right turns and then we're done. Yeah. And it gives you this sort of like I would argue though that moment. in and out of it. It's like Raincoat yeah. of Love in and of That's itself true. doesn't. But yeah. going into it, it is a, it is also very important uh, for understanding small Allison, mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, and that she has to escape. That her childhood is characterized by needing to escape because it comes out of her parents arguing and she's going... Having an intense argument. Yes. I mean, a very so intense argument. So she's escaping from that. So both in and out. But the song itself is is this rare moment of what would otherwise in any other musical be considered fluff. But right. the con- like the context that it's that it's put in is is very very smart. And yes, maybe what they realized the show needs in that moment is something like bright does, and yes. uplifting, and it finds a way. Well, that's what Janine Tesori does to almost better than anybody else. Yes. Janine Tesori's understanding of what music, where what we need here, what we need, we need from this song it. here. Yes, and but then, which is a real thing, we need this moment yes. here. We need a relief. We yeah. need a break. This needs to be funny. This needs to be that. Yeah. But then her ability with her collaborators to go, however, yeah. it's still going to connect. It's yeah. all going to line in. Mm-hmm. And the ending of Raincoat of Love is yeah. the saddest thing in it's the world. It's so sad. And it brings us right back to where we need to be. Yeah. It releases us just enough and then gives us just enough. And then we're back into the show. Like we're it's really okay. smart. It's, really it's smart. incredibly smart. And yeah. you directed Fun Home. I did want to plug that real fast in Beach Creek, Pennsylvania. That's right. And Alison Bechtel's hometown. Alison Bechtel's hometown. It was the regional theater premiere. Yes, I know. You've told me that several times. Well, your listeners know. <laughs> I did have a note here. I wanted to make sure that that got brought up because it is, I mean, it's a it's a show we talked about doing for this podcast. I think it's a little too new uh, for the purposes of what we're talking about. But this is like, it, it does that exact thing. It learned the lesson correctly. What Ken Ludwig, though, was doing with Crazy For You is the tremendous understanding of like if you read the song if you listen to the cd consciously which i did to talk to you like i wasn't just on i was listening to it you feel the ebb and flow of like oh i really would have loved to have seen him like putting these songs in order and being like no it's gotta be and like listening and this is 92 so he's listening to i don't know what like cassettes and 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 lps and things to get like yep it has to be this kind of tempo song it has to be this kind of song here, this is what we need right now in the middle of Act Two. This is what we need at the end of Act One. And the, and the stuff that I think you can't glean from just listening to the musical. Mm-hmm. So this is you know I'm continuing on my campaign here. Yeah, but sure. Like tonight's the night, which is yes. which is towards the end of Act One. Yes.
Night, first of all, is a forgettable Gershwin song. Right. Honestly, it's a forgettable moment in the show. I think uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's one, it's for me, even directing it, I'm like, oh, it's an, when I'm thinking about staging things or places that I find juicy, Tonight's Night is like bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. There's, there's like five conversations that happen during Tonight's the Night mm-hmm. that push us forward, that engage us more. And there's, and, and the words uh, and the anticipation of Tonight's the Night and that, you know, and there's these complications that happen uh, during the course of that song, you know, in these little interludes um, that is just really well done and really put together. So even a song like Tonight's the Night is very deliberately used it, while otherwise I'm like, Bleh, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we, I could get rid of that song. Another thing that Ken Ludwig does really well is is sort of the um, the uh, it's not a mashup. It's like direct seg. Uh-huh. Yeah, like sags directly from one song to the next. Right. There's "Could You Use Me," which is the first conversation, or the, the when the conversation between Polly and Bobby first takes off. It takes off in song form, right. and it's a b- bit of a conversation between the two of them. And there's a direct sag into "Shall We Dance." Your ties are freakish. Your knees are weakish. Go back to flappers and eyeball lappers. Though you can use me, I most certainly can't use you. That long face, come on, have your fling. Why keep nursing the blues? If you want this old world on a string, put on your dancing shoes. Stop wasting time. Put on your dancing shoes. Watch your spirits climb. What's great about it, it what's important about it, is first of all, integration-wise, plot moving forward-wise, it is, it, it is Bobby convincing Polly of something in could you use me Bobby fails Bobby Mm. says hey can I talk to you and she's like can I cuss on this nah she's like get away from me (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, and uh, I've done really well so far you have I I almost told you in advance yeah because otherwise it's every fourth word um but um so it's a total fail so it new tactic new idea um and he is really convincing her uh, so it's very active, and you learn a ton about Bobby, and it's a whole new color to Bobby. So here's what's important about it. You know, we see in the beginning, we see a guy who's uh, uh, completely not assertive. He he has this dream, and his dream seems like a failed dream. It seems like a stupid idea. He seems right. like a terrible dancer. He like he stomps on Zangler's foot is what happens. Sure. Like in his like you know big moment to audition for him or whatever, we're like, oh, this guy's an idiot. And he's got mom and fiance. He's getting pushed around. By him and he's going and he's clearly not happy in life and we're like this dude's not going to get anything done right. um he doesn't know what he wants and even if he did he doesn't know how to get it and he doesn't have the ability to get it right this is a moment where without thinking he goes to dead rock he shows up he sees this lady and boom all of a sudden he turns on all of a sudden we see somebody who knows how to go after something we see somebody who is impassioned by something and he is uh you know endeavoring to uh, to 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 make it happen, um, and uh, so there's that. That's important in 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 the development of, of, Bobby, of Bobby, in our yeah. understanding of Bobby. So this otherwise sort of like forgettable song or song that could just feel like little like schmaltzy, um, you know, moment of charm, charming a girl or sure. whatever, um, is very is very specific from an acting standpoint. You know, the actor has to dig in hard to this objective that they have, and Polly, the scene partner, is 
is, is it has to honestly respond. Right. And, you know, and the staging of it needs to be constant uh, tactics and, and obstacles. Um, and then the next thing that I want to bring up, which is important too, and you don't get it from the, from the, recording. the recording. And it, and you don't get it. It's not text. Mm-hmm. It's the dance. It's the, the oh, music. Okay. Dance. The actual dance. Dance in multiple mo- moments. I can think of three major moments mm-hmm. where dance, uh, dance is the climax of this piece. Right. Dance that leads I to yes. the moment where Bobby makes his realization. It is dance. The last word that was spoken, he's not there yet. Right. Um, but uh, dance is, a, is, is, I think this is a, I, I think the, the writing of this, I, I actually didn't ask Ken about this and I should have. Um, I wonder how it happened with Stroman and like who 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 was putting well, and, all this yeah, together and that's that the, the dance would be so pivotal right. in the storyline. I'm not talking about Stroman's choreography was really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think that was another huge factor. Well, that was the in the success of Crazy. Stick, stick with what you want to say. I want to okay, come back great, to Stroman great, in a second. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, but. You know, Bobby sings Shall We Dance. So the song portion, he's trying to convince her. And she is still rebuffing him, although softening maybe a little bit. Right. But the dance starts. And by the end of the dance, they kiss. By the end of the dance, he has convinced her. It's a huge, a huge change in what both characters were going after. So... You know, for me, you're not getting any of that in the sort of like listening to the sure. recording. Oh, not so, at all. So, you know, I think structurally and as it comes to life, um, there's there's so much more for it to offer. Um, uh, and and not just the spectacle of dance, because we know that. But right. I, I got even like a Stairway to Paradise, which is like an interlude. Mm-hmm. It's the girls coming to Nevada. You listen to it and it just sounds like background music. It's this sweeping, beautiful, and it's not even, it's not like amazing. It's not like the, the end of anything goes. Um, I'm sorry. The anything goes, the end of act one of anything goes where we just like do a tap dance on a boat. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, which is just after a while you're like, I watched a tap dance. It could have been in a recital. It could have been, yeah. no, uh, you know, stairway to paradise with the, with the, the chorus girls showing up in Nevada is this beautiful, uh, you know, spectacle of uh, you know silhouette and the move from New York to the Old West and not the Old West, the 1930s West, um, and and was a really smart usage of that. So even though, you know, like the use of spectacle is also interesting, and when you listen to it on the recording, it's just like, right? Here's this. It seems like underscore. Well, it's, it's a piece of music. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot where dance is is the sole. Uh, 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 push the thing that's pushing us forward and the thing that causes changes to happen within characters or plot points to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the climax is it's after nice work. If you can get it, there's like the song, right? And then there's this entire huge dance break afterwards. And he has the realization in that, you know, in the midst of that. Yeah. Which is beautiful. So, you know me, I love that too. I mean, that's another reason why I think Crazy for You is so fantastic is that there's there's so much sophistication wrapped up in what otherwise looks like. Like, here's the thing. Guys and Dolls doesn't have that. Right. Um, uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie doesn't have that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else feels like sort of classic musical theater that way but you know the, these shows that we sort of know and love and the structure and the form feels great or whatever mm-hmm. doesn't have there's this internal sophistication to crazy for you right uh damn that, yankees that i'm really that drawn to this category to me yeah and doesn't it doesn't have, have that. that at all i don't think crazy for you is this landmark moment in choreography necessarily but i i i, do, I mean maybe but i yeah, I, I think it might be you don't know i don't I, yeah it, 
it, it, it certainly launched Susan Stroman's career. Yeah. So in that sense alone. And it and, and once again, though, we we tend to uh, people who don't dance the sort of pedestrian way to think about choreography when we think of choreography being good is we think literally the phrase work mm-hmm. being good. This movement, if I stand up and I go doop do doo, my arms go here and I spin like this, put my leg in the air and you go, that was cool and to watch. Everyone does it at the same time. Right. Yeah. And then we go, that's cool to watch. That's good choreography as opposed to. How is choreography being used? Mm-hmm. Like what it's it's a form thing. It's a question of there's a sort of bigger picture of what choreography is doing, what it is achieving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Agnes DeMille was like you say, so this is the first one to think about that. It was something more than just the vaudeville notion of the spectacle of dance and it looking pretty. Yeah. It, she was thinking about the storytelling and the forward movement of it. And um, and that is what I I think crazy for you does that successfully it's not that susan stroman's steps in crazy for you are so like like nobody has ever tapped like that before her tap is actually pretty straightforward it's like solid as a rock Mm -hmm. she has you know fantastic tap technique and 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 you know there's that and she makes beautiful shapes and all that stuff but really what susan stroman should be known for what we should be talking about with her is we should be saying she rethinks about how and why choreography can be used or should be mm-hmm. used on the stage. And I do think that choreography is a major part. It's also why, like, you know, I said this before, but the the recording fall is 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 going to sort of by necessity sure, it's incomplete. fall flat. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that you listen to West Side Story and it's right. beautiful. Well, and that's also and it's yes, but you have you there and you have a composer classically trained who writes symphonies and operas and everything, writing, taking all that knowledge and writing a musical. So there's more. It's the same with Hamilton, actually. I gotta be honest mm-hmm. with you. The moment, the 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 transfer of me listen, like I listened to the recording of Hamilton, and uh, the experience that I had, what I felt as I listened to it, was not largely overtaken by actually going to see the 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 mm-hmm. musical, the, to going to see it live. Uh, 80% of what I enjoy about it is accomplished in the listening of the music. And something like Crazy For You, that's not the case. As good as Gershwin is, you can enjoy the Gershwin music, but I think it, I think it is, it compounds itself. It requires the, the visual, it requires the story, it requires the choreography. Um, and so that's, I mean... I think that's a large part of it. I, I also just really like the story. You really could take the choreography out, and I'm still like, no, 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 no. It's really, really good. Well, you can't because he wants to be a dancer. So there's got to be some dancer. Right, right. <laughs> Somewhere somebody's got to right. dance. Yeah, but it is. The the, the, the diegetic to non-diegetic continuum in Crazy for You is another interesting yeah. one. Well, it's like it's a dream a ballet based in reality. I mean, it's, that's a funny little... It's another, it's another nod, slight nod to... You were saying the self-referential... Um, it's it's a bit of a whenever the reason why musical theater constantly has so many diegetic elements of music and dance is because right. we constantly need to justify why there's so much music and dance in it or we feel the need to. Yeah, we feel the need I to. I don't think we need yeah, to. Not at all. Um, uh, but yeah, we're like, but but people don't just stand up and dance that in the middle is so, of something. I'll tell you what, there's nothing that drives me crazier than that. And it's not even a, like I've heard people say like that person has no imagination. I'm like, no, that's not the problem. Yeah. They don't like what they're seeing. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. Just say that. Yes. I don't like it when people People start don't have a tool set to do it. People don't have a tool set to do that. And 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 argue, I think the other reason why is because literally what it is, it it it, it is non-real it is non-realistic. It is the the entire 
continuum of non-realism. And we, uh, the general population, has been trained to literally this. Um, hey, uh, you went and saw this play. I did this with my 101 students all the time, my mm -hmm. theater 101 students. We, they would go to the main stage shows and we'd come back and we'd talk about it. I'd be like, all right, did, did you like it? And they'd go, yeah. And I'd go, why? And they'd go, because it was so real. Or we'd see another play. I say, did you right. like it? They go, no. Yeah. And I go, why? And they go, because it was so not real. Yeah. Like that would never happen. So literally, good and bad is contingent for whatever reason in our society. Well, that's not what they mean either. Real though. and not. Like, that's it the, might be what they mean. Well, though. it's it, like the the discussion I have with my because my students. realism is the standard. But like to me, it feels the same as like when people say they don't like a movie. And you go, why don't you like it? And they go, God, it had no plot. And I'm like, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Maybe it is. Yeah, there yeah. are movies without plots, right, right, and they're great. But some a lot of them. times, people misuse. But that what phrase. you're not, you don't mean it had no plot. You mean you didn't like the story. And so when I when I hear somebody say it was real or it wasn't real, what I actually hear them saying is I didn't connect with it. Like it wasn't real I guess to so, me. But I think people but like, are literally using that. I think there, I think there is a connection to realism in our society that that is the only way to do things. Right down to when you think about. Shakespeare and people can't even theater people can't fathom the fact that it, it literally was the very dish, uh, uh, definition of not realistic right. because realism wasn't invented yet. Right. You know what I mean? Wasn't so it's just an like so it's sort of like little things that we take for granted. But I I, I think it's the rise. You do hear that. I mean, yes, you do TV hear. I don't movies. like Shakespeare because that's not the way people talk. I it's, do hear that. Yeah. Right. So there's there's the sense of but even like how it would be staged. There's a sense of like oh that's so fake. And as opposed to like thinking about. Literally, interpretation, the notion of interpretation, as far as non-realism goes, right. is another thing that I rant on. You know this because this is what I it's what I see in your play. I go, ah, look at all these realistic elements that should be combined with the non-realistic elements. And how do we interpret that? How do we, you mm -hmm. know, get that onto the stage? So this this the you know, musical theater is this playground for can we play with realism and non-realism combining mm. and so i think choreography when done really well is a major factor in that i think choreography when done really uh middle of the road or amateur sure is when we were like oh those steps are really pretty or people don't get up and dance in the middle of the road that right. that's when we get into that is when i think it's sort of on it's treated on the surface mm -hmm. that like non-realistic elements are just like and then we dance as opposed to thinking why do we dance and and in what ways do we want to express that mm -hmm. it's a lot deeper than this tap number should happen right here. Yeah. But you still need a tap number there. <laughs> that's the, and that's the dichotomy. That's where we started is the thing of like, you're but, not wrong. You need an 11 o'clock number. But you can do both things. But you can do both. That's the thing. I mean, that's the hard part. Pulitzer Prize winning, hard hitting dramas yeah. are also doing that. They are, in right. fact, 100%. manipulating our emotions. They right. are making sure that the rise and the fall happens where we need for it to, to because we are humans and to a certain extent we're like machines and yep. there's you know certain things that we're going to respond to and they craft that it doesn't make it inauthentic it doesn't make it it doesn't mean we're not having real feelings because we're sort of being manipulated but that that is very deliberate so the notion that like musicals are thinking about that does it's it's just i think it can be done deliberately and well yeah and 100%. musical theater, as as a general rule, sometimes has a hard time remembering that that's its job. Well, because you are telling someone, it's often treated like this needs an, this. You need a, a happy number here. 
Yeah. And then the people writing it go away and get frustrated and, and go just bump, like, bump, bump, yes. bump, bump, and they write a happy right. number. Right. And then that's what gets thrown in. Right. Whereas instead of it being like, okay, we need to lighten How the mood here a little bit. How does this need to manifest? What is an organic, like, and also knowing, I think the big thing, like we were talking about with Fun Home, one of the reasons that Raincoat of Love works so well is I 100% believe they knew what the scene that came before yes. and they knew the scene that came after. Yeah. And they went, how do I link these two ideas together with something that is happy and that's why that's why they were like of course there's no reason why we need to be chronologically linear right and that's the beautiful thing about that show is they went okay in order to in order to get the appropriate sort of arc and manifestation yeah. of emotional response in the right. audience they knew that they had to throw linearity out of the the window they right. just had to completely get yeah, rid of it work. and yeah. figure out what do we need fun home exists Almost entirely in Allison's mind at the beginning of the play where yeah. she's remembering the thing. You could almost go like, boom, and time stops and we go, when we explode into well, and this it has whole that, 90 I mean, it's minute. that thing of that, that they introduced in Company of the idea that it could theoretically all take place in a half second. Yeah. Because it starts and ends with the same moment. That's which right. is her dad playing, she playing airplane with her dad. That's right. And that, for whatever reason has it's it's where we start and it's where we end and it the means two plot, totally different the things the plot is both emotionally driven the yeah. plot is about what is going on in her it's internal almost yeah. entirely we have to stop because we're like literally out of time but <laughs> thank you Courtney <laughs> I don't know how this is going to come out <laughs> all quarter, of it all quarter. of it will come out eventually <laughs> in one way or another uh, in drips and drabs. Yeah, then we'll release like the unedited version yeah. of it for, for Patreon people Courtney maybe and or something. Talk right. If you're into like a 125 minute conversation, <laughs> we can provide. Um, so after Sheila and Moby opens where, and you go back to New York, what's your next thing? Uh, well, actually, the contract that I just signed is I'm I'm choreographing uh, for, you know, I don't really know, but I do know that I'm going to Toronto sure. for three weeks and choreographing it. It's weird. It's a company. Choreographing what? It, it's or you don't know what you're doing. You I just don't, know you're I signing don't with the company. Know okay. Quite what I'm doing. Okay. It's a company that it's a sort of a production company. They do sure. lots and lots of things. So mm -hmm. it behooves me to yeah to Hop get to know train. them. Sure. Um, but uh, it's a mystery how they got my name actually, and that's when you know Ooh, you've made it, folks. I don't know. How I you found must me. be kind of a big deal. And CourtneyLaneSelf.com. That's right. Go go to CourtneyLaneSelf.com. Yeah. You can also look me up on YouTube where I got all kinds yes. of crazy videos. All kinds of great stuff on Instagram YouTube. handle is at CourtneyLaneSelf. It's right. Lane with an I. L-A-I-N-E. Self like myself, yourself. And speaking of that, my Twitter handle is at CourtneyMyself. Look at that. Is my Twitter handle Courtney at CourtneyMyself. Look at you. Um, and then I go back so to the heart school in the winter. And I'm actually doing, believe it or not, this is this this can go. This can stay in, I would think. Because what I'm directing and choreographing is all shook up. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to fix it. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. My thanks to Courtney Lane Self for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs>